Welcome to the Leaders Edge podcast. I'm Sandy Laycox, Editor-in-Chief of Leaders Edge. In this very exciting episode, I talk with former New Jersey Governor and presidential candidate Chris Christie. He had just finished his latest book, Republican Rescue, so we cover several topics of interest from it, including regulating social media and the role of business in social issues. We also talk NatCats, climate change, and opioids. I really hope you enjoy it. So in the book, you went through a lot of effort to sort of walk through the lies and debunk them and sort of, you know, prove that they weren't true. And I was wondering as I read it, because I felt like people who already thought that were already believed those things. And the people that that don't agree with that aren't going to aren't going to listen to you what you're saying anyway. So who are you trying to reach? Who is this for? Well, I'm trying to reach like the. The, the people, first of all, the people who are undecided, right, about what they think really happened. And secondly, the people in my party who kind of softly believe it, just because they don't like Biden and they don't like the Democrats. And so, yeah, yeah, I could see them trying to steal the election. Um, but, or just say, well, tr- I, I can't tell you how many people said, well, Trump said the election was stolen, so it must have been stolen. I don't know. No, think about it. Spend some time thinking about it. So what I'm trying to do is within the softer parts of my own party. And by softer, I mean the ones who are not hard to having decided, absolutely believe that this is what happened, no matter what you say to me. I'm trying to get those people to think and to think about not only why it's wrong, but also what it means for our future as potential leaders of the country if, if we continue to advocate for that kind of point of view. So that's the, that's the target audience. It was not a target audience to be a New York Times bestseller for certain. <laughs> it was a, the first book was a New York Times bestseller. The second book was much nichier than that. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was interesting reading it from that perspective and thinking about it. Um, I really, I really felt that way. Um, so you met social media is in there as, as sort of one of the reasons why these, these theories um, flourish right? And then you do kind of talk about big tech at the end and, and what needs to happen there a little bit. But I was, I was, I really want to hear more from you on what do you think solutions are for, you know, I'm, I'm guessing it's probably not more regulatory control, but, but what do we do with social media and the way that sort of these theories flourish and really show themselves to be quite dangerous? Well, look, I think, I think that we need to use our legal system to do it. Um, there's no reason why these big tech companies should be immune from suit for things that are set on their sites. Mm-hmm. It, it was, they got that immunity in the beginning because they said, look, we're just a bulletin board. Right. And, but we now know they're not. We now know they're using all different kinds of algorithms to determine what gets on and what doesn't. They're, they're editing all the time. Well, once you decide to get into that business, then you need to be subject to the scrutiny of our legal system. So that if there are things on there that are actionable, either civilly or criminally mm-hmm. in the judicial system, they should be subjected to that. And I don't think they should have a special class of treatment anymore. Um, not because they're bigger than they used to be, but because they're doing stuff they said they wouldn't do. Yep. Fa- Facebook is not a bulletin board anymore. Twitter is not just a bulletin board. You know, um, YouTube is not just a bulletin board because they make decisions about what goes up and how frequently it's seen. Once you start to make those decisions, then you need to be liable just the way a newspaper is or a magazine or someone who's out there speaking, 
who is subject to potential liability uh, based on our laws. And so I don't think we need new regulation. I think we have a system in place already. We just have to subject them to that system. And I think that will have a real um, moderating effect on how they conduct themselves. And you think that that by doing that, it will have sort of a spillover effect into kind of the, the way the public views some of this information. I guess I'm wondering, is there any way to sort of help fight the huge amount of, I just don't believe it if it, you know, or I'm gonna believe whatever I want regardless. Yeah, because I think if you start having some lawsuits on this and things are demonstrably proven in court to have been false, people will start to question it then. But right now you don't have any of that. Mm-hmm. There's nobody who can challenge it except to challenge it kind of politically. And, and, and people aren't gonna buy that because depending upon you know where you sit politically, you're gonna be more inclined to believe your side than the other side. Right, right, absolutely. Okay, um, you talk about the overreach of business um, in response to some of the social issues, you know, progressive pushing and, and how business has respond in, responded in recent years to that. Um, but at the same time, during, especially during the early stages of the pandemic, a, a lot of businesses were sort of the only ones guiding people in terms of what to do, you know, go home and work from there. Here's access to vaccines. This is what we recommend. So in the absence of big government, and, and, and I know you're, you're probably not for government telling everyone what to do as well. So where does where does the role of employers fall, especially as they feel like they have more and more of a responsibility to take care of their workforce now? Where where what's their role? Well, I think that's a pretty good place to draw the line, right? Say it's you know deciding about giving advice and counsel to your employees about about you know public health issues or um, workplace issues in terms of having human resources talk to people about uh, if they feel as if they're being discriminated against or those type of things in the workplace based upon anything, you know, sexual, uh, gender, sexual orientation, race, you know, um, all the rest. I think that's all perfectly appropriate. What I'm not in favor of is, is, is corporations deciding they're going to tell the entire country what's acceptable and what isn't. So, you know, the most recent example, of course, is the Disney stuff. And, and I think Disney's done enormous harm to its brand by getting involved in that. Um, you know, you want to go and lobby against that law in Florida and your Disney, fine. But don't be out there saying like, you know, the public statements they were making um, to the entire workforce and, and across the entire state of Florida. Um, this kind of, you know, wokeism stuff to me is really dangerous area for them to tread because norms change but the internet's an ink so you know you're writing this stuff saying these things they're permanent and people are not going to forget it and when norms change uh then you're going to feel something totally different like all these companies who gave to black lives matter for instance mm-hmm. the aftermath of the george floyd killing now we see what black lives matter was spending that money on and luxury homes for their founders. And you know, what was that doing to help people in inner cities who were subject to 
abused by police. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing. And yet they did it just because they were like, I want to be seen as someone who is, you know, progressive and woke about this. I, I just think that businesses in the main should stick to two tasks, you know, doing their job, whatever industry you're in, mm-hmm. best in class, and taking care of the employees who help you to do that. Mm-hmm. If you do those two things, you generally are going to be okay. You start getting involved in politics in a way, in a public way like that, um, you're going to wind up having bigger problems than you know what to deal with. And I think the performance of Disney stock and its own, the impact on its own brand, I think we've seen, um, is certainly not something that you would hire a CEO to do intentionally. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't even know how he still has a job. <laughs> I really don't. I don't know if I were on that board of directors, I'd be like, this guy made that call, his right to make the call when he did, but our stock price is halved and our reputation is damaged because of his decision. Bad decision. Adios. Yeah. It's something who can make better decisions. So what do what do these big companies do when even if they even if they sort of are, are thinking the same way you are, but are sort of faced with all these corporate social responsibility, you know, now reporting on it and things like that. What, what are they to do? Well, then now you get back into big government, right? And saying now <laughs> right. the government's going to require you to, to report on all that. It is a slippery slope that is, we're never going to be able to stop. What next are we going to have to report on and we're going to force companies to do? Um, and look, this is a political movement trying to impose its point of view not through the ballot box, which is where you're supposed to do it, because they couldn't do it that way. So then I would try to impose it regulatorily when they have controls of that to be able to say to a business, you must do these things or we're not going to license you. We're not going to allow you to be on the stock market. I mean, using the SEC to require ESG. Right. You know, what the hell does the SEC have to do with that? They're supposed to be regulating the securities and trading of securities and the issuance of securities. What's ESG have to do with that? I think these are big governmental overreaches, which as the American people absorb it, they're gonna repel because we're still in the end, a freedom cherishing people. We saw that during COVID around the country, lots of people put up with freedoms being restricted for a certain period of time. But as it went on and on and on, they started to say, well, wait a second. I can't go to church if I want to. If I want to take that risk, why can't I take the risk if I think that the benefit I will get spiritually from being in church outweighs the risk I'm taking? You know, COVID, so you're going to close my church? Like, I think there's a lot of people who are, you know, will repel against this type of overreach with corporate responsibility, reporting, and ESG and all the rest of it. I think it's a backdoor way of trying to impose a, um, an agenda and I have no problem with someone trying to impose an agenda. Just do it through the front door, not through the back door. Win elections. You win elections, you can you, you can try to do that, but not trying to do it through the back door. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so one thing I, I noticed about your book is, and I think you this is probably very clear to you, it's it's very anti-democratic. <laughs> um, and it, and and that's I think that's part of your message was you know, you're trying to rescue the Republican Party. However, 
one of your best and one of my most favorite and, and interesting examples of success in governing was when you talked about how you worked bipartisanly as governor of New Jersey to, to, to basically overhaul the Camden, New Jersey police force. And, and, and I've read about that in other places. It's a case study. It's, it's great work. Um, so, so where do you, where do you fall in terms of working across the aisle? You know, we hear from the problem solvers caucus a lot um, at the council and the work that they do. What, what are your thoughts on that sort of working in, you know, with people from the other party? You have to work with everybody who's elected. doesn't mean you have to agree with them. Right. <laughs> so like, I think both things can, can, can coexist. Right. I'm very clear on the things that I believe in that I think are the best solutions. But I also, for instance, when I was governor, I had eight years of a democratic legislature. So you've got to decide, you want to sit in the corner and hold your breath, or you're going to work with people and take half a loaf or a third of a loaf sometimes. Sometimes you get two thirds of a loaf, depending on what the issue is. But I think that having strong feelings about what policy should be cannot and should not preclude you from compromising. And you know, the, the next book I'm working on, which I hope will be out by the fall, is a book on Ronald Reagan mm-hmm. and 10 examples of times going all the way back to when he ran the Screen Actors Guild of when Reagan reached consensus and compromise without disposing of his principles. To remind people that you can do that. You can stand up for certain things that you believe in, but also acknowledge that the people elected a government with people with all different kinds of points of view and everybody who gets elected is entitled to be heard. And if they can put together enough votes are entitled to be negotiated with in order to come to consensus. So I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. There's almost not a, there's, there's very few things that Joe Biden has done that I agree with as president, but he's the president. So he gets to sit there and be part of the conversation about how we resolve these problems, whether I like it or not, in terms of what he proposes, he's earned the position of being there. And I felt the same way about President Trump. It was earned the position to be there. He got elected by the American people. And so, you know, I think the two can coexist, Sandy. All right. Well, we're looking forward to that next book so we can get some more bipartisan, you know, stuff into the mix. Um, Okay. One thing you don't mention very much in the book is climate change, but for the insurance industry, it's a huge issue. And I know that you have firsthand experience with my namesake, Superstorm Sandy, um, and what NatCat can do. So, so what are your thoughts on climate change? You know, for, for the insurance industry, we've got carriers pulling out of some places. How can we make sure that we remain resilient and people, you know, remain able to sort of endure this? Well, look, I think we've got to move towards um, using more renewables, right? We have to continue to do that. My problem with what we're doing is we're doing it in a way uh, current on the current administration, which also excludes fossil fuels. We can't do that yet. We're not ready for that. If everybody, the Biden administration wanted to have an electric car, had an electric car, the grid would collapse. Right. Don't have enough power to charge electric cars in every town overnight. We don't have that. And we're especially not going to have it if they continue to say you can't use natural gas to fuel um, electric, uh, electric generating plants, right? And, and to also say, and I don't want nuclear power either. 
even though nuclear power is a zero carbon emission power um, that we, I think we should be doing a lot more of. So I think that the conversation has got to be broadened and to be able to say, I believe we should be exploring and, and try to develop wind and solar and nuclear, but we can't abandon fossil fuels until we have enough of those three and maybe more that will come in the future, but at least of those three that can run the American economy, run the homes of American families and continue to allow us to be the country that we are. So I don't doubt for a second that the climate change exists and that, that human behavior contributes to it. Absolutely. I think the evidence is there. The question is, how do you go about changing it? And radically moving away from fossil fuels when we're not, we do not yet have the capacity to have renewables uh, generate enough energy for a country of this size and scope, I think is irresponsible. All right. Another issue um, that's insurance related that I know you're passionate about um, is the opioid crisis. This comes into play in insurance a lot of um, times in the workers' compensation arena. You've got a lot of musculoskeletal injuries due to, you know, falls at work. It's, it's a chain. We've looked at it. Um, talk to us about, you know, what we need to do on that front. Well, look, I think um, on the opioid front, we have to get more coverage for and more availability of, availability of medication-assisted treatment. Um, you know, some people can do it in a 12-step program. Some people can do it with talk therapy. But there is a large, large number of the people who are addicted across this country who that just doesn't work for, but that medication-assisted treatment does. And I think that we need to get much more, um, much smarter about covering that cost and having more doctors licensed to be able to prescribe it. Right now, you have to go through in most states a really specialized licensing for medication-assisted treatment. By the way, that you don't need to prescribe the underlying opioid, which chart, which which started the addiction to begin with, right? So any anybody's got a DA license can prescribe Percocet, but but you can't prescribe medicated-assisted treatment. Like, come on, that's asinine, and you know, it, and is blind to the, the the depth of the crisis. So I think that medication-assisted treatment is a big part of the solution going forward. And I think, and this is a place where employers can play a role as well, is to, to lessen the stigma attached to this. This has got to be seen like heart disease and diabetes and cancer. It's a disease. And it's a disease, yes, that human conduct can help to create, just like heart disease and cancer and diabetes. But we don't stigmatize those people. We treat them and we try to elongate their lives and improve the quality of their lives. In the very same way, we got to deal with the disease of addiction and understand that that is what it is. It is a disease and that people, that we do have the capacity to treat many people, but because of the stigma, um, we're not doing that. And I think that's a huge mistake. You know, from the employer perspective, I know that mental health issues are, you know, finally getting more and more sort of, you know, um, focus um, and employee benefits. So hopefully, potentially, that might be of use in this arena. Really necessary. And and we had a lot of conversation today at the, at the, at the bigger discussion about 
mental health issues involved with violence as well. And both of those things getting people um, more availability to mental health treatment, whether it's drug related or behaviorally related, is really important to have a more civilized society. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, one last question for you. Uh, you mentioned you're working on another book. So what's next other than that for you? You know, we'll see come 2024. I may decide to run for president again. Um, I don't know. I made that decision yet. Probably make that decision in the first quarter of 23. Um, you know, I, I, I'm on five corporate boards. Um, you know, I have a consulting firm. I have a law firm. I um, So, you know, the last four and a half years of the private sector have been great. I am a employer-based provider of health insurance um, great. In, in both my, my consulting firm and in my law firm. Um, and I have a policy institute as well associated with Seton Hall University. So, you know, all those things keep me really busy. So I don't have, um, uh, I don't have any lack of things to do, but I'm also not ready to retire from political life. So um, we'll make that decision in the next year or so um, and decide whether we want to take another crack at the only job in politics left that I'd want to have. <laughs> well, Governor Christie, thank you so much for talking with Leaders Edge. It has been such an honor. And if you do decide to run for president, maybe we'll be on your on your media on your media trail. <laughs> well, now that I know you guys, you definitely have a much better shot. That's for sure. <laughs> that was former Governor Chris Christie. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. You can find more Leaders Edge podcasts at SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts.